Our guest today has a background in engineering. That's electrical engineering as well as uh, he's worked around aerospace and IT engineering. But he is on the show today to talk about public speaking, not just how to improve public speaking, but communication skills in general, social skills, and how these skills can be improved and how they can improve our lives. So I hope you enjoy it. Really smart guy. And and I had a lot of light bulbs going off in this conversation, as you'll see. I think I've mentioned before that this is a part of my life that I've been trying to improve on. And this has been one of the resources I've been using. Armand has a really great Twitter feed and I would, I'll link to it. And I hope you guys check that out. There's some really great ideas there that will make you think if this is something you're working on. Bottom line is the people I know who are the most successful without fail, every one of them is a master communicator. And I, I can't, it's hard to even put my finger on exactly in what way, cause they're all different. But I know that each one of those people, I love being around them. When I'm around them, I hang on every word that they're saying. And, and I know that those skills have been probably key to their success. So uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Armand from ArmaniTalks.com. First of all, thank you for coming. And the way I'm kind of wanting to do this, I've got a short list and I'm imagining like a lightning round of just giving you some of the questions that I'm kind of, I don't want to say struggling with, but the things that I'm working on and thinking about lately, which is how I came across your uh, your Twitter feed, which has been really helpful, by the way, great work. But the first one is, I almost never do public speaking, like in front of a group. I don't want to, I don't have any interest in it. So can you explain uh, the, maybe the difference, but also why, even if someone's not doing a lot of public speaking, why improving public speaking in, in that aspect is beneficial? Well, that's a great question, Nate. One of the reasons that public speaking is beneficial, even if you're someone who's not doing it too much right now, is mainly because you never know when you'll need it. And I'll give you an example. Let's say that you currently have a lifestyle where you're not speaking too much in front of an audience, but suddenly your best friend decides that he's about to marry his college sweetheart and he wants you to be the best man. In this case, a outlier was just thrown at you where you're going to have to do the best man speech. And if you've been preparing ahead of time, this is going to be a great moment for you versus someone who doesn't know public speaking at all. They'll feel good that they were asked, but later on, they're going to be like, why me? Why do I have to speak in front of all these people? And if this is your friend, most likely the people in the audience are people that you know as well, which can build up the nerves more. So Nate, I would say that it's great to just know. You never know when you'll need it. This is a little like a cultural thing at the moment, but I've seen all these videos of these school board uh, parents coming to schools and giving messages to school boards, you know, against like a cultural political thing. But I noticed among some of them who are really good and talented at speaking. So that's a really good point. You never know the exact moment and uh, it could be a setting like that. But I'm sure depending on people's work, my work doesn't require a, a public speaking in terms of real people live in front of me. So but I guess, I guess you never know. Um, so my next question, and this is where I think I need the most help. Um, sometimes when I'm talking 
to someone, especially over the phone. But even in person, there's like a rhythm that you try to get into where you go back and forth and it could just be me, but sometimes I really have trouble on the phone, almost like tripping over the other person and, and having a hard time, uh, just communicating efficiently without, you know, bumping into each other all the time. So number one, to what extent is that a part of public speaking? And number two, what do you say to someone struggling with that? So what part of that is public speaking is a great question. And that actually ties into the first question, where traditionally, when people think of public speaking, I'm sure they're thinking of a person with a mic speaking in front of an audience, right? That's like the general understanding of it. But I would actually say that nowadays, as more technology is being introduced, the definition of public speaking is evolving as well. So what you're doing right now is a form of public speaking, but it's different than it was a couple of, I would say, 100 years ago when information technology wasn't a thing. Because a lot of people are listening to your podcast. A lot of people are listening to your YouTube channel. So in terms of public speaking, I would say it's a gradient rather than just a fixed word. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, in terms of conversation, it's level one public speaking, where it's one-on-one interaction. And whenever there is the source of bumping in, where two people are speaking at the same time, that's to be expected because the more that we mature, the more that we become solidified in our personalities. And as we get solidified in the personalities, we start to have thoughts at the same time. So if you can speak in a way where you're trying to reduce that rather than not expecting it at all, that's going to be beneficial. And you'll notice, Nate, uh, and I'm sure you of all people have to deal with this because you're hosting people on podcasts, where at times two people try to speak over one another at the same time. And it's a game of adjusting along the way. So to answer the question, it's to be expected, but the game is to just keep reducing it a little bit more. My father-in-law was really good at this, and I even noticed it a couple years ago. I would be chatting with him on the phone, and he would only speak for you know a, a minute or a few seconds, and he, he would always end by either asking me something or making a very clear in point for me to <laughs> contribute. And it was so helpful. That really, and I, again, he was... That was him helping me, but that was a really good lesson for me in turning it over and kind of making it official, sort of, you know, it made it easier to know when, when I could enter without, you know, bumping in. Right. And that's a savvy move. You ever had one of those moments when someone seems as though they're done, you're taking that pause, thinking, just double check in. As soon as you're about to start, they start talking some more. You ever had one of those? Yeah, all, all, all the time. And then that's almost exactly when I, <laughs> when we start tripping over each other, huh? Right. It's one of those things where it's a game of adjusting and each person is different. Yeah. Where you'll notice in the Eastern cultures, this is a problem that happens a lot where people often speak over one another a lot. While in the Western culture, it happens, but eventually uh, they adjust. Interesting. Um, speaking of, your, your family immigrated here, and I believe you did as well when you were young. What what other differences in communication? Because I got to imagine in your family culture, you know, your, your, the, that that communication style is probably more natural 
Yes. So I would say that that's something that's helped a lot where in the Eastern side of the world, body language is more important where they'll speak in a direct way, but there's a lot of indirect communication as well. They'll use their tonalities. A lot of the times you don't make direct eye contact unless an elderly person looks at you first. There's these micro nuances. While in the West, it's predominantly direct communication. There's a lot of words which are used. So it's a game of seeing which works for certain parties. Nowadays, since we're living in a more globalized world where it's easy to see someone from the Eastern communicating because we could just view their YouTube channel, it's the the disparities are starting to melt away. But there are still certain uh, differences that I notice where East predominantly focuses more on body language, West predominantly focuses more on direct communication. Hmm. And I got to also think like with an immigrant family, for example, I had a business partner who was an immigrant from Russia. And I think the the part of his personality that gave him the courage to leave his home country and enter a, a new place was he was he was cut from a different cloth, you know, even than me, I've, I've always been, you know, Western United States. And so he was a great communicator, but this, uh, I, I don't know if sense of adventure would be the quite the right term, but he was certainly willing to leave the motherland, you know, and, and that was, I think a much more part of who he was than, than the, the more traditional Russian, uh, cultural things, although they were certainly there, but he was a really, uh, outgoing guy. And so it could be among immigrant families that the outgoing and the willingness to put to, you know, go somewhere new is maybe different than the people who stayed at home and have kind of always stayed close to their little closer to home. Well, that's why one of the phrases called immigrant work ethic, you ever heard of that before? Yeah. Is a thing where when you come here, especially as an immigrant, you're thinking, whoa, there's so many different opportunities here where Depending on where someone is moving from, there's not that many opportunities. So when I'm in the West and I see another, let's say, an immigrant complaining or whining about something, I'm thinking, what are you whining about? There's a lot of opportunities, but their mind is focused on what they can't do. But just like anywhere that you live, there's going to be good parts in society. There's going to be bad parts. And I would say in the West, there are tons of different things that you could look out for especially if you start to prime your mind, you start to learn how to communicate. I've seen people with strong accents who are running big businesses because they took the risk and they know where they're coming from. So it's a matter of perspective. And I agree with you in that part where if you're coming here, you're leaving where you're from, there's always that level of guts that you need to have. Yeah. Um, one, one area where my communication skills really kind of go out the window is when I get nervous. And I know this, this, especially if it's a call that's sales related, or if I'm trying to work out a deal, I used to do real estate and I would be trying to purchase a, ho a home from, from someone. Um, and man, like when I, I guess that's where the practice comes in, but I could do fine, uh, in most settings. But if my, if I was a little bit nervous, my heart was beating a little bit faster. All I would talk, I would, I would, everything bad about my communication would get worse. I would talk even faster. I would talk over them even more. And, and I still do this where I would 
to talk too much. I would just fill, I would almost not stop. I'd fill the crack and not be able to get out of my own way. And this was mainly for sales calls? Yeah, yeah, sales calls. Although anytime I, like I said, was a little nervous for one reason or, or another, but sales would be the best example. Or if I was pitching a deal or, or something to a person I really respected or someone who I felt had a, you know, some more status than I, and I felt like I had to make a good impression, um, it, I almost shoot myself in the foot by just, like I said, talking too much. This is something that deals, uh, I would say, you ever heard of Toastmasters before? Uh, yeah, although I don't, I don't really know much about it. I, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard of it. So this is a public speaking club that's global. So depending on where you live, there should be a chapter near you. And this is useful for someone that's trying to improve their public speaking. So typically, when you're in the club, new members will be assigned a mentor. And that's when the new members who have a lot of speech anxiety, they want to reduce that speech anxiety. And one thing that the mentors often try to do is to get this person with speech anxiety to be clear. What is it that's bothering you? And once this person starts to become clear, they're often traced back to one key issue, which with public speaking, it comes down to the eyeballs. For some reason, people don't like it when there's groups of eyeballs looking at them. And when they can address that as to why that is, they're able to trace back that us as species, we don't like too many eyeballs looking at us because for our ancient ancestors, that normally meant that we did something wrong. And once this person is able to realize this core issue, that's when they have that moment, oh, okay, I guess I'm more aware now and I was overthinking this. And once they can reach that insight on themselves by getting extremely detailed, that's when the fear starts to reduce in the process. So I would say you're on the right track where you're able to get detailed, where a lot of people just immediately react. You're able to spot, this is when it happens, these are the traits, and these are the people that it happens to, which is typically one of the first steps in overcoming the fear. Hmm. I think I'm a, a relatively introverted person, and I know a lot of people who are, who don't really have any interest in being the center of attention anyways, you know, it's not something that they are comfortable with or it's something that they want to do. There's certainly other people, uh, I don't know, David Lee Roth, you know, the rock star from the eighties, who's like, they just love it. Can't get enough of the, of that attention. But for people who are generally introverted, do, do these communication skills like pay off even, you know, in this, in one-to-one communications or small groups, or are there ways that it takes time to get better and invest in improving, but for an introverted person, are there benefits aside from just that one, you know, best man speech that might or might not pop up? Yes. So I had this one video on my YouTube channel a while back called the introverted speaker. And what I've noticed is that sometimes the greatest communicators out there are actually the introverts, specifically with public speaking. Because most of the public speaking process is done by yourself, where you think of the topic by yourself, you brainstorm, you practice by yourself, and you record the speeches and watch it back by yourself. The only thing that you're doing around people is the delivery part. So oftentimes, introverts make great communicators, but I believe that it's a benefit because 
it allows you to even feel confident when you are in group settings where let's say you're in a networking event, you feel that confidence because you know the process of structuring your ideas and articulating it. Where I know introverts, their mind is running pretty fast, right? Especially when they're out in public. Mm -hmm. And once they understand, look, these are certain ways that I could structure my ideas, it becomes easier to alter your personality as well. Where that's when you could turn on a switch where sometimes you're being introverted in certain scenarios, but other times it becomes easier to express the energy and be more extroverted at will. So with communication skills, it becomes a remote controller towards your personality. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. For people who've worked in like a restaurant or something where you're serving, you have to kind of flip a switch and go into a mode of communicating and being friendly and being extroverted. And when I would leave a job like that or a setting like that, I was always really exhausted and so happy to finally just be done. But the point is that you're right. It is something you can kind of turn on once you figure out how and get past the hard part. And it's like a, a tool in a toolbox. If you need to use it, you can. Doesn't mean you have to completely change who you are and be the center of every party or conversation, right? Right. And normally the most charismatic people, Nate, are giving other people the spotlight as well, where they're not going out of their way to be like, hey, guys, look at me and watch me talk the entire time. Some of the most charismatic people we know are asking more questions. They're listening effectively and they're contributing strategic points. So that's one thing that I've noticed where introverts and shy people often have that benefit because they know how not to be the center of attention, which is the essential basis for a lot of social intelligence. Wow. Can you talk a little more about charisma? I've, I've thought about this over the years. My dad is super charismatic. He's the host of our channel and he's just got, he's got a a talent that he's developed and he has a God given gift of just charisma. And I can't, quite put my finger not just on him but what charisma even is if it can be developed that's a good idea or a good point of asking questions and sharing the attention maybe that's one ingredient but what what else is there so i would say charisma is a line of thinking where when we get to the essential basis of it all there's two types of thinking there's me focused thinking and then there's us focused thinking the charismatic person often has the us focused thinking Now, this is different than the people pleaser, where a people pleaser often focuses only on the other person and not at all on themselves. This is not charismatic, and this makes people feel uncomfortable because a people pleaser gives someone too much power that they never asked for, while a charismatic person allows someone to win first, and then they allow themselves to win. So to give you an example, let's say we're having a conversation where you and I, we're not doing this podcast, me and you are just going out for some drinks or something. At this point, I see that you just got a job promotion and I'm asking you about the job promotion. I'm making you the centerpiece, okay? So I'm allowing you to win because I'm allowing you to speak about yourself. Mm -hmm. Then I try to bring myself into the interaction as well because if I do not bring myself in, then I'm just making you high up there 
and you're not feeling as engaged to me. So mm-hmm. the charismatic person has the us mentality where you went first, but then I went. So that fundamental difference is what separates it from an egotistical person versus a charismatic person. Wow, that's great. So what about in a group setting? You know, a public speaker who's really charismatic can be animated and hold a person's attention. So in a group setting, it's more difficult for, well, you you tell me, but it would seem more difficult for the speaker to put the attention on any one individual. So how does a person, let's say through a video format, come across as charismatic when there's not maybe one person when they're having a, a drink, you know, to ask about the promotion? How, how do you do that in a, to a camera or to a group? So to a group is a tad bit different than a camera. So with the group, it's going to be where this charismatic person has to change up the mode and see the people that they're speaking to. If most of the people that they're speaking to are talkative, now this person has to become what I like to call a conductor of energy. They need to try to bring up topics where everyone can participate rather than hyper-niched topics. You ever had one of those moments when someone is talking about such a niche topic where other people are just standing there with their hands in their pockets? Yeah. Where this charismatic person has to assess who's in the group. So if they're talkative, you want to start bringing up topics that most people can participate in. If they're pretty quiet, then this person has to go in storytelling mode and now they have to speak up more. So this is predominantly with group interactions in person. In video, one thing to shortcut everything, Nate, is some level of humor. You don't have to be the funniest guy out there, but if you make humor an intent where you're like, it'll be great if I could make this person laugh at least once, whoever's watching this video, your entire personality starts to shift. So those are the two different ways of tackling it. Being funny is a real high risk, high reward thing. Cause if you take a shot at a joke or making somebody laugh and it doesn't hit, which has happened to me actually on this podcast a few times. And I think, I don't know if the audience got it, but at least the people I was talking to, maybe they weren't expect if it, maybe if the humor is not expected, then they're not even thinking something could be uh, humorous. But point is it's definitely a, a risky thing too, right? If it doesn't work, then now, now you kind of, uh, opened yourself up to maybe some some doubt or something? Some doubt, some silence. And that's just a part of the game where yeah. with charisma, it's taking you from a Newtonian view of reality where everything's fixed to a quantum view where things are probabilistic. Sometimes it's going to work. Other times it's going to fall flat. Yeah. And what's even more confusing is when a joke works perfectly with one person, but someone else doesn't laugh at all. And this is when charisma is being exercised even more, even though it doesn't seem like it, because it allows you to be more bold if you don't alter too much in the future. So rather than being the person who's like, oh, whoa, this guy didn't laugh at my joke. I'm not going to tell any more jokes. But instead, you're the kind of guy that's like, this is one of many people out there. And this person didn't find me funny, but I'm going to keep the jokes going because someone else may. And your yeah. dad, I mean, you were mentioning your dad, who's uh, you mentioned was a pretty charismatic guy. I'm pretty sure where tons of people view him as charismatic, one or two people are probably like, what's the hype about? And that's just, <laughs> the, that's just the dualistic nature of dealing with people. Some people love you. Some people are like, eh, yeah. I don't really get it too much. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And great point when you're speaking to a group and for example, our audience, um, generally speaking, we have a pretty good idea what these guys are like. They're guys maybe like myself who ha- who have a shop and they like to do home improvement on the weekends and they um, are into tools and all, lots of engineers and, and computer guys, but a, a relatively similar interest, you know, maybe middle-aged family guys. And so even if it's a group or a, a video, you can still think about that person and the types of uh, stresses and struggles and things that would be interesting to a person that fits that avatar and speak to that. And then even if there's 10 people listening, if, if, if they fit that avatar, then it would still feel quite personal and maybe then, you know, charismatic, right? Yes. You want to have the 1% mindset rather than a group mindset. So if you could speak to one person, I'm sure there's more people like that. And with your current channel, Nate, are these things that are interesting to you personally? Uh, tools and yeah, tools. yeah, definitely. It's the same things that I'm interested in. That's right. That's perfect. So one cheat code. Let's say you're some form of a content creator and you're trying to show more of your personality through the written word. Let's say you're trying to write a blog. Then a smart thing to do is to write to your younger self. And if you can write to your younger self which basically means, let's say you're a 25-year-old person, write to your 20-year-old self or your 5-year-old self, giving yourself advice. You'll notice that your personality naturally is warmer because you're speaking to one person Hmm. and you're hyper-targeted on their needs and desires. So this is a cheat code to be more charismatic in content creation form. When I was done with high school and then I went to college, but from that point on writing, I've always just had really negative associations with writing because all of the writing I did was for an assignment. And it was basically like a survival mode. Like I I have to get through this assignment in order to get through this class. And so I don't flunk out of school and I spent all this money on college and whatever. And man, and after I was done with school, I basically only ever wrote if it was a matter of necessity, like an email or something. So can you... this is a good segue, but can you talk a little bit about writing, how that overlaps with uh, communicating and speaking? I don't, I don't write. It's something I kind of know I need to address and like deal with and get over my sort of bad associations with it. But h- how is writing and communicating um, related or what, what are, where are the overlaps? I would say there's a huge overlap, Nate, mainly because writing allows you to freeze your thoughts and it allows you to analyze your thoughts and from there you can see where there's gaps in your understanding and where you surprise yourself good writing is when you're thinking did i just write that and to write better we have to unlearn a lot of the things that we learned in school because in school they got us focused on the grammar the spelling the punctuation exactly yeah, which is good in the real world too, but it's secondary. The most important thing in the real world is doing your best to write like you talk. And that's something that's difficult in itself because we're consistently evolving as people. So to answer your question, writing allows you to freeze your personality, to analyze your personality, and this makes you a better speaker in the process 
because you have conviction now behind your words. And I'll just give you one example to tie this all together. There's this one public speaker that I came across when I used to be in Toastmasters, and he was my mentee at the time. And in the beginning stages, he kept on trying to put on this act where he wanted the audience members to like him. That was the narrative that he was operating with in terms of creating the speech. So eventually, myself and one of the other members, we told him to write a paragraph regarding himself. What is one thing about himself that he's done that we would never be able to expect before? And apparently, this guy that was trying to impress others was the valedictorian of his class, and he wasn't poised to be the valedictorian. He was doing poor in his schooling in the beginning stages. So this was surprising. So I'm like, dude, speak about that. And at this point, he had his material already written, and he pretty much just put it into words. And that was congruent with himself as a person versus what he was doing before. So writing allows you to control your mind better, which allows you to speak better as well. Um, what about Twitter? You you have a really great Twitter uh, account, but writing on, and I've never even posted maybe just a handful of tweets, but is that is that related to writing? Is, do you use that as kind of the process uh, to writing longer things? And would you recommend that as a place for people to, I mean, it is still writing, I guess, even though it's short. How do you use Twitter? Absolutely. I use Twitter as a public journal. So most of the stuff that I write there are advice to my younger self. And the reason that Twitter is powerful is because it allows you to crystallize your thoughts, get to the point. And every now and then when a tweet is doing well, you could turn it into a thread, which means you turn it from one tweet and then you add onto it. So it allows for short form writing along with long form writing. And it allows you to do what I call attractive writing, where nowadays a lot of comedians are testing out their jokes through tweets before they take it on stage. So Twitter is dynamic. I think it's one of the best platforms to become a clearer communicator. Hmm. So I don't know if being an introvert is exactly the same as being a, a private person. But I know they're similar because myself, obviously, I've like given up all privacy with our YouTube channel. So I understand that. But still, my instinct is I don't post on the, even our family uh, like chats. You know, I like generally not posting in because I feel for some reason like I just would rather keep things private. So what do you say to people who can see all the value of all of this, but putting themselves out in the public is just uncomfortable? Form. In other words, are there benefits? I, that that part they might just have to get overcome. But what benefits are there to getting to putting yourself out there a little bit? Well, I think it also depends on the business model. Where for some people, it's a part of their business. Where for you right now, there's a YouTube channel uh, along with other features. Where my personal philosophy is, I'm also a private guy as well. I don't like to share too much about me. And I think the more that you create the more that you're able to toe that fine line where you're able to keep it about the skills first, where the Armani Talks brand is predominantly built around soft skills. That's what I keep the center focus on. And I don't make it too much about me. Um, But I feel like I'm still not answering your question. 
to answer your question, what value is there in giving up a little bit of privacy? I believe that one of the values is that you start to build an audience who can resonate with you more. So you don't have to go super detailed, but every now and then, if you go detailed and you talk about a painful moment from your life, there's someone else from a different part of the world that can connect at that point, And then they start to empathize with you more. And through that empathy process, it's easier to learn from that person versus a person who always seems perfect. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I had a guest on, and I want to say his name's Brad from A Finer Touch uh, Construction. And he had this great point, and I'm going to make it again because it's just so great. He he was starting his construction business and reached out to some architects that he wanted to work with to, to design some homes that he wanted to build for some clients. And the architects are like, didn't even take his call. They're so busy, you know, like, and he didn't, they didn't know who he was. Uh, he, he built up an Instagram account just by doing these kind of things, putting, by putting himself out there, I guess is what I'm speaking to by, and, um, and built an audience there and, and something, I think either he reached back out to those architects or they might've approached him and be like, Hey, we'd love to work with you on something. And he made the really fu- just, I don't know, amusing like observation that like, well, what changed? Cause you didn't want to a year ago and now you do. He knew the answer. Of course, like there's just some <laughs> amount of, it's not respect or clout. I don't know what it is, but just like seeing someone that has like a, even a, a, a modest following, you don't know what doors that could open. And for Brad, it allowed him to work with these really high-end uh, architects for a project, which he was not able to do without taking that risk and putting himself out there. So for me, that was kind of like a really good thing. In other words, you just don't know who's going to come and what's going to happen. It's like a new aged business card to a certain extent, where people can also see that you're serious about something. Imagine that you own a media company where you're looking for journalists. Now imagine that one journalist got their master's degree, got all these different degrees in journalism, while another person doesn't necessarily have a degree, but they have a large Twitter following. For the past three years, they've been working on their blog. They have hundreds of blog articles discussing a wide variety of stories. You as the person who's looking to hire one of them, yes, you could get the person with more credentials, or you could get the person who doesn't necessarily have the credentials, but has the body of work. So having a body of work is leverage in itself. Yeah, there you go. Body of work. Um, So our audience are guys like myself who enjoy, I'll say workbench hobbies, but they like making things and building things and using tools and and I was reminded last night, last night I was, we're working on a new membership uh, group for the people who support us on Patreon and stuff. We're, we're working on a new kind of platform for that. And I was kind of building it online. Um, and it's been a while since I've done something like that. You know, I, I built our website and all of the videos I'm, I'm building, but I was really enjoying it last night. And I'm tell, I'm speaking to our audience right here, guys. Um, there is some real overlap in building and I'm sure, and actually I've felt this when I'm maybe writing an outline for a video, creating something, even if it's on your computer or, or writing or something that is not completely unrelated from building 
whatever project in your in your shop. There's a similarity there. There's overlap of of building. I'm sure coders, guys who are writing code, feel this all the time. They write they write some big program or piece of code, and they can sit back and just look at it and and kind of be like. I did look that. at it. I did that. I yeah. did that. And and I'm, what about writing? Do you feel that way with like I don't know? I guess articles and blog posts. Is that do you, do you get that feeling like you're creating, building? Absolutely. So my dad's a realtor. So growing up, I've seen different houses that he's bought, and I've heard some of the terminologies that he used in regards to house houses. And a couple of years back, I met this one guy who built houses for a living. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, you actually build a house? He's like, yeah, I have a team of people that do it for me. And I I guide them. So I was like, can I come and see what you do for a day? And I did. I saw the different walls he was getting designed, the different... See, I'm not the most technical with this. So if I butcher some of the lingo, excuse me. I saw the circuitry. I saw the windows, all of that. And as I saw this world of my dad, and this one gentleman who built the house, I noticed that what I was doing with building the website was not real estate, but it was virtual real estate, which is anytime, I I have a video out called Mansion Mind, which talks about using your mind to build digital assets. So every time that I add a YouTube video into the ArmaniTalks.com website, it's sort of like I'm adding a new bedroom. Every time I write a blog, it's sort of like I'm adding a new guest room. Every single time I do a podcast interview with uh, guys like yourself, it's sort of like I'm creating a new patio. And if you could view your content in this regard, where you have an analogy with something offline, now it makes digital work much more fulfilling. Because a lot of the times, you can't necessarily touch a website, smell Mm -hmm. a website, hold a website. But if you can find these parallels between online and offline, it makes you feel like a builder as well. Um, you, This is reminding me of this other point that I think matters for people, which is someone, let's say, who's quiet or introverted or private. Let's think of that all as the same thing. That person, and I'm thinking about myself, can instantaneously change when they are talking about something they understand completely. For example, my dad, um, we do some videos that we kind of have to make, I'll say like for maintenance of the channel. For example, we just finished building a house and we had to make some videos letting our audience know that it's going up for sale, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, like housekeeping type stuff. And he does great with all that. But if we're doing a video and it's like how to, the difference between, recycled steel and brand new 4140 for a blacksmithing a knife. If that's the video, it's like, just hold on. Cause he will just blow up and just put so much that he just lights up instantly compared to if I'm like, okay, we got to this. And I've seen that before with other people who I thought were a little dry. Mm-hmm. When you are talking about something that they have a lot of expertise about, they can, they can talk about it for, you know, half a day straight and be totally animated. And I, I think that happened to me in school where I was required to write about things that I didn't care about. In fact, at one point I was, do, I had to do a paper on like African elephants and really <laughs> neat. Like I, I believe me, it was interesting and it could have been worse, but I don't have any 
knowledge about African elephants that I was able to like dig into to write this. Right. Paper. Or I had, I just had to rephrase what some other people wrote as opposed to there were other things that I had some other, like personal ex- experience or expertise on. I could have really had a different experience with. Go ahead. Well, and you didn't have an emotional connection with it. Where right. when there's no emotional connection, now it becomes a chore rather than something that's play. Where with your dad, when he was talking about the steel yeah. stuff, that was play for him. That wasn't work. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And some some of our listeners here, in fact, you 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 have an engineering background as well. But there's aspects to let's say engineering that most people wouldn't find interesting. But when you're deep in it that's it matters there's some really important and some nuance that if you were speaking to a room full of engineers it'd be a different conversation so it might not be a bad idea for people to even you know have those conversations uh even as a starting spot because you, that's what you know a lot about so you doesn't you don't have to get out over your skis talking about something that's you know out of your your closely held uh comfort zone right Right. You you want to be speaking about something that you're interested in, and then you can speak it in a language that interests other people as well. Where, for example, since we're speaking about engineering, for the longest time, it's as though some of my professors got paid on who could bore us the most because yeah. they had us just, you know, memorizing these formulas, uh, capacitors, diodes, but we never saw it, which didn't make it real for us. We saw these symbols and uh, textbooks, and that's about it. But later on in our journey, once we actually saw the diodes, the capacitors, the battery, and we used it in order to make a radio, now this concept became alive. So if a person is in a technical position, if they can find a way to use this knowledge and make it captivating to someone else, where if you just look at most people, they have this big sticker on their forehead that writes, so what? What's in it for me? And if you could bridge that from your technical understanding to what's in it for them, now it becomes interesting. And both parties win. You get to talk about your passion and they get to learn in the process. That's great. Um, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Who is there a public figure or someone that people would know who you think is one of the most engaging public speakers let's say classically, you know, like speaking to audiences uh, that you think is just top of the game. Obama was amazing, but anybody besides uh, President Obama? Well, I loved Barack Obama. Another guy that I like, and he doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion, is Jeff Bezos, where he is, whenever I give him as an answer, they're like, but Jeff, really? And I believe he's an excellent communicator and one of the best out there for a few reasons. Number one, he has complex knowledge that he can simplify. Where when you hear him speaking, he's not saying anything where I'm like, wait, what? What did he just say? I didn't understand that. Simple delivery. Another thing that he does is that he's a tad bit goofy. Where if you're goofy and you don't know how to use it, then it can alter your message in a negative way. But he knows how to use it. Where Typically, if you listen to one of his interviews, he keeps repeating the phrase customer obsession. Now, normally repeating it that much times isn't something that's normal, but that's now his brand because he's a tad bit goofy in that regards. Hmm. And the third part is that he has simple body language 
nothing is over the top. So I think Jeff Bezos is someone that's underrated and he's crystal clear in his communication. Interesting. I listened to a, a, a speech from a guy that I really, really like, and I've listened to for years, and it was so animated and so intense that it was a little much for me. And I remember thinking like, ah, it's not not quite my style. It was one of the first times I'd ever felt that way from the, is a podcast uh, I listened to. And I remember thinking like, that's a little much. So there's definitely something to be said for, uh, I don't know about subtlety, but it doesn't have to just be like, you know, fire and brimstone and dazzling kind of um, theatrics, right? Absolutely. And that's the thing with communication where everyone has a different style where I did a breakdown one time of the difference between Barack Obama and Donald Trump's uh, delivery style. And it's almost night and day, yet they held the same position for a while. And you'll notice that different types of people resonate with both of the groups. So it honestly depends on your authentic style and then which people are willing to embrace that style. And just so you know, no one is always embraced fully by a crowd. There's always going to be a certain group that's like, eh, that wasn't really for me. While another group's going to be like, yo, I couldn't get enough of that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, my wife, sometimes we'll, we'll listen to something together while we're driving and we will have that exact experience where I'll be kind of like, not really my thing. And she'll be like, I loved it. And it's <laughs> truly just uh, not for everybody. So that's probably an important thing to remember. Like you don't have to please or win everybody. Well, hey, Armand, anything else to leave the audience with? I can't thank you enough for coming, but um, what, what's next for you? You're, you're putting out a lot of content. Are you still speaking publicly with Toastmasters or what's your, uh, what's, where are you going from here? Sure. So nowadays I'm working more with uh, business owners and uh, entrepreneurs who are looking to put themselves out there and get the message from their mind and put it into words. You can find more about me from ArmaniTalks.com which has my blogs, my videos, my podcasts, along with other appearances that I'm doing. And feel free to subscribe to my daily newsletter, which is on ArmaniTalks.com. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you very much, Nate, for having me on. Uh, It was a pleasure. We'll talk again soon.